Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter. This can be found on page 955 of your pew Bible. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning, church. My name is Rob Lau. I'm one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. And today we are concluding our series called Enough. Our topic today is the topic of cultivating contentment. How do we cultivate contentment? We're going to get there in just a moment, but I know like many of you, my my thoughts have been turning to our brothers and sisters out west who are suffering with some wildfires. And uh, as, as I was listening to some of those stories this week, I was reminded of a story that Time Magazine did back in 2007 after some similar wildfires had broken out. And they went and they interviewed a number of people who'd lost their homes to fires and they asked the question, you were woken up in the middle of the night, told you had to get out, you had the time to grab one thing, what did you grab? It was interesting. A little boy named Andrew grabbed his pillow. A woman named Shervy grabbed her photo album. Angel saved his saxophone. Karen saved her cats. Michelle saved her Bible. What would you save? Five minutes. What would you save? I would save my family. If I had time, I'd save our dog. Though he's pretty old and Andy's laptop is brand new. I'm just kidding. I'd save the dog. Don't send me emails. I'd save the dog, okay? <laughs> Good. See, natural disasters every year, often we see these, and, and we see these scenarios where everything is here one moment, it's gone the next. And in those moments, I imagine that survivors of such tragedies experience a, a duality of emotion. One is the sense of great loss because they've lost all their stuff. The other, for those families that survived intact. The other must be a profound and relentless sense of gratitude because we can replace a lot of things in this world, but I can't replace my Brock and my Parker. I can't. When I'm gone, most of the stuff I have is going to be outdated. In fact, most of the stuff I have right now is already outdated. It's going to be worn out. It's going to be of little value to anybody. When I'm gone, my stuff is either going to be thrown away or taken to goodwill. My point is to say this. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, Our lives do not consist in an abundance of possessions. And Jesus is right. Our lives are not about the abundance of possessions. A couple weeks ago as we began this series, I articulated two spiritual maladies that affect us as Americans related to this uh, rampant materialism we face. One was called affluenza. It's the desire to get more stuff. And the other is called credititis. I want stuff, I can't afford it, therefore I go into debt and leverage my future in order to receive it. I want to add a third spiritual malady to this list of those that plague us. It's called RHS, Restless Heart Syndrome. Restless Heart 
syndrome. The primary symptom of restless heart syndrome is discontent. You know what Benjamin Franklin said about contentment? He said, contentment makes poor men rich and discontentment makes rich men poor. Let's be careful about one thing though. There is something, as we're talking about contentment today, there is something called holy discontent, right? Not all discontentment in this world is bad. There is a holy discontent. When I say to myself, I want to become kinder, I want to be gentler, I want to be more loving and and caring and more generous, that is a holy endeavor. So how do we know the difference between holy and unholy discontent? I love the way the Scottish philosopher James McIntosh talks about this. He says... We should always be content with what we have, but never with who we are. I love that. We should always be content with what we have, never with who we are. Restless heart syndrome causes us to do the reverse. It causes us to be content with who we are, but not with what we have. And this, this discontentment isn't just about our stuff. I mean, it does involve our stuff. There are some times in some lives where we get a new car, and before the new car smell has worn off, we're thinking about the next car. But it's not just stuff. It can happen with churches as well. I encounter people from time to time in my ministry who go into churches and are shocked that the people there are not perfect. They haven't spent much time in church. Because churches are not filled with people who are perfect. I'll let you in on something. Ebenezer Church is the best church I've ever served. We make a greater impact on this world than any church I have ever been a part of. That is the God's honest truth. But did you know there are hypocrites here? Don't look at each other right now. You know how I know that there are hypocrites here? Because sometimes I can be a hypocrite. I don't mean to be. And when I find out that I have been, I repent and I try to be, I try to be different. But some people will walk into a church and say, oh my goodness, there are warts and hypocrites here. I need to go find the perfect church. The perfect church doesn't exist this side of glory. The problem is not the church. The problem is the discontent inside the person. Same thing happens with our relationships. I counsel marriage, marriage partners from time to time. The husbands and wives come in and talk to me and They'll essentially acknowledge the fact that the new car smell has worn off their relationship. And, and the idea is that, you know, he's a little heavier than he used to be, or she might be a little snappier than she used to be. And then maybe we start to see somebody else and we say, oh man, maybe if I just met this person earlier. But you know what would have happened if we'd met that person earlier, right? We'd be tired of them by now, you know? The problem is not in our relationships. The problem is not in our churches. The problem is in our discontent down in our souls. Restless heart syndrome. Discontent. It's pervasive. It affects all of us in the United States of America. It is pervasive. But there is hope. There's a cure to restless heart syndrome. Would you look with me at our passage this morning from Philippians chapter 4. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4 beginning in verse 11. I'm not referring to being in need for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. 
I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. And in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. Paul is writing this epistle. Sometimes Philippians is called the epistle of joy. You know where Paul is writing the epistle from? Anybody know? He was in jail. He was in prison. He was in a Roman prison and he was awaiting his execution. Paul wrote the epistle of joy while he was waiting on his own death. How does that happen? How is it possible? Think about that for a moment. How could he be talking about contentment in that moment? It's because Paul had found the key. He came to understand that contentment comes truly from one place. True contentment comes from being in relationship with God. And that's it. That's the only place that any of us will ever find true contentment and satisfaction in this life. That's it. If our contentment is based on our circumstances or our stuff, we are doomed to live a life of discontentment. If the focus of my life is God, then I can write epistles of joy from death row. Because my life's contentment isn't based on the circumstances. It's based on the relationship with the unchanging creator, redeemer, and sustainer of the world. So Paul says, I've been hungry, I've had nothing. But I want you to think about the next phrase for just a moment. It's not on the screen been hungry, I've, I've, I've had some things, I've had nothing. And then, then Paul moves on. It's that next phrase. I'm just curious, does anybody have Philippians 4.13 memorized? Anybody know what it says? For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There would be some people who would say that contentment is about settling. Oh, just settle for what you have. No. Contentment is about trusting that the God of all creation is going to give me exactly what I need to do His will. I can be hungry. I can be full. I can have everything. I can have nothing. I don't need food. I don't need stuff. I need God. And when I have God, I can do some things. No. A few things. No. A lot of things. No. I can do all things. That's the kind of contentment I want, church. I want a kind of contentment that's not based on the circumstances of my life, but is centered in the unchanging reality of Christ. I want a contentment that tells me that I am empowered to do the things that God has called me to do, nothing more and nothing less. How do we find that kind of contentment? How do we cultivate contentment like that on this changing earth? Well, today, I want to walk with you through five keys to cultivating contentment. And if you are so inclined, you have the opportunity to take some notes on the back of your bulletin uh, this morning. Five keys to cultivating contentment. Lives that are centered in Christ and empower us to do what God has called us to do. How do we find lives like that? Well, the first thing, it comes from John Ortberg. John Ortberg is a famous pastor, and uh, you're going to think this sounds funny, but the, the thing that John Ortberg tells us to do is that we need to realize it could be worse. We want to cultivate contentment. We need to realize it could be worse. And in my head, Eeyore is saying, realize it could be worse, right? No, it, it could, it could, it could be worse. There are some things that could be worse in our lives if we want to cultivate contentment. When we find ourselves discontent with someone or something, 
We need to say it could be worse. I walk out the door today and I get into my five-year-old car. Could be worse. Well, my house is in need of repairs. Could be worse. I don't, I don't say this to you flippantly. Last fall, the first lady and I over here, the first lady, does that work here at Ebony's? What do you think? You like that? No? We'll try something different next time. Uh, Andy and I, uh, got, last fall we got a water bill for $800. for water, something we give away free here at Ebenezer Church. And and apparently we had a leak, and we couldn't find it, and we couldn't find it, and we couldn't find it, and we couldn't find it. You know why we couldn't find it? Because the leak wasn't inside the house. The leak was outside the house. The water main going into our house had, had a crack in it, and there was a lot of water, but it was feet underground, we couldn't see it, we couldn't find it. You know, uh, it was scary, and it was inconvenient, and it was costly. Uh, but that water could have unsettled the foundation of our home, it did not. That water could have seeped through and ruined our walls, it did not. It was a pain, there's no doubt about it. But, it could have been worse. There are times in school and at work where things aren't going to be perfect, but they could be worse. When we find ourselves frustrated with our spouses, say it could be worse, not to them. (laughs) Friends, this is not a mental trick. It's simply the truth. We don't always get to dictate the scenarios in our lives, but we do get to decide how we're going to respond to them. How will we respond? One way we could respond to cultivate Contentment is to say it could be worse. A second key to cultivating contentment is to ask the question, how long will this thing make me happy? We have the opportunity to go and buy things sometimes, and oftentimes we'll buy things expecting they're going to make us happy for a long time, and they don't make us happy for a long time. So what would it look like to ask the question, how long is this thing going to make me happy? And it's possible that we're going to say, you know, this thing actually will make me happy for a long time. And that's great. There is nothing wrong with having some things in our lives that we enjoy. I have one. I have really kind of two things in my house that are mine. I have my clothes and my chair. This chair is the best chair. Some of you are familiar with Platonic philosophy where he said there was, there's the perfect chair somewhere in the sky and all the chairs are der- derivations of the, that's the chair I have at my house. It's the perfect chair chair it's it's big it's brown leather it's comfortable i snuggle right into it we were on vacation and i had a great time with my family the thing i kept thinking was i miss my chair i love my chair it was a great purchase There's nothing wrong with having things in our lives that make us happy. The problem is that many of us are covered up by all kinds of things that don't make us happy. So ask the question, how long will this assist in my happiness? The third step, the third key to cultivating contentment in our lives, and this is the center of it all, is to develop a grateful heart. This is key. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us? To give thanks. To be thankful people. To be people of gratitude. 
A colleague of mine tells a story about a guy in his congregation who had had an argument with his wife and he stormed out of his house and he went on a walk. And as he was walking for like half a mile, he was, he was just praying. And ten minutes into his walk, he, he had been articulating to God all of the things about his spouse that annoyed him. And what happened as he was sharing this with God is that somehow God turned these things around and the guy started giving thanks for the things about his wife that annoyed him. The fact that she helped him to be a better person. The fact that she was fierce. And then he started to give thanks to God for all the things he'd always loved about her her affection and her, her care and her, her intellect. If we find ourselves in a place where we struggle with gratitude, one thing that we could do is pray and ask God to give us gratitude. And God so often will answer that prayer to give us a grateful heart. If you're not going to write down anything else that we talk about today, I want to invite you to write down this next statement because gratitude is the center of contentment. Here's what I want you to know. It is very difficult to be grateful and dissatisfied at the same time. It is very difficult to be grateful and dissatisfied at the same time. We must develop a grateful heart. Fourth, the fourth key to cultivating contentment is to continually ask the question, where does my soul find satisfaction? Where does my soul find satisfaction? Our society teaches us to look for satisfaction in all the wrong places. It teaches us to look for satisfaction in cars and houses and and clothes and children and spouses and jobs. And none of those things inherently are evil things until we try to make them the center of our lives and derive our satisfaction from them because none of those things were built to be the center of our lives. Where does our soul truly find satisfaction? I love the way that St. Augustine put this. He said, our hearts will not rest until they rest in you. Oh, Lord. I love the way that the psalmist David writes in Psalm 63. He says about this this searching after God, this longing for God. He says, Oh, God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And in verse 5, he describes what happens when he connects with God. He says, My soul is satisfied. Like with a rich feast, my mouth praises you with joyful lips when I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. What is it that truly brings our souls satisfaction? There's only one thing. In Philippians 4.13, Paul tells us the secret of his contentment was Christ. A life that was centered on Christ, it made him joyful. Christ was his center. Fifth and finally, the fifth key to developing and cultivating contentment is to develop generosity. Giving makes us more like God. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift in our lives. Giving makes us more like God. I recognize that if statistics across the United States hold true for Stafford, there are some people in this room who are facing incredible debt in their lives right now. And it's difficult to be generous people when we feel like we're drowning in debt. I just wanted to offer uh, a tool, a resource for you from Ebenezer Church. Twice a year, we offer a program here called Financial Peace University. It comes from the mind of Dave Ramsey, and it's run by some very capable folks here at Ebenezer Church. It articulates biblically-based principles that try to help us center our financial lives 
around God and get out of debt and get to the place where we can be generous people, where, where our anxiety around money is gone and we can have peace, Financial Peace University. If you're interested in joining in our spring session of Financial Peace University, I hope you drop by the connection desk and let those folks know your name, and we'll be happy to enroll you in that class that's going to start after the new year. One final thought about generosity. Our giving furthers God's mission on the earth. Last January, we began a process here at Ebenezer Church called Appreciative Inquiry. It's a process by which 60 different small groups of people came together. Over 500 people, uh, individuals came together. And we answered questions. What is it about Ebenezer that you find most life-giving and engaging? We've taken that information and together, through much prayer, uh, a number of leaders in the church are working towards the dreams that are going to guide us into the future here at Ebenezer Church. We'll, we'll release those and, and share those in January of next year. Here's what I can tell you. It's exciting to dream about where God is calling this congregation of people to go. It's, it's, it's life-giving. But we're only going to get there if we do it together. When we give, we further God's mission. Generation, generosity makes us more like God. It helps us transform the world. And it aids in the cultivation of our contentment. If we participate in these five activities, if we participate in these five activities, we will find our restless hearts at rest. But so many of us have traded peace for a rat race. Working 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 100 hours a week just to buy ourselves and our families things that don't ultimately satisfy us. And perhaps, worst of all, we've passed this disease on to our children because they've watched us work more and more and more only to be less and less and less fulfilled. And the truth, church, is that our hearts will not rest until they rest in the living God. Perhaps today is the day that I'm finally going to say enough. God, I've had enough. I've had enough of the race, enough of the restlessness. Today I choose peace. I choose rest. Today I choose you. Today we're going to receive our estimated giving cards back. I've asked you as as families to have conversations together about how we are going to support the work of Ebenezer Church. And in just a moment, our ushers are going to come forward. They're going to release us as families to bring those cards forward and as an act of worship to leave them here. If you forgot one, um, there's some in the pew backs in front of you. But today's a great opportunity for us. This series has been about finding freedom from materialism, but on a deeper level, this series has ultimately been about idolatry. About placing something at the center of our lives that is not worthy of being at the center of our lives. And we need to know this. If we take materialism away from the center of our lives and put something else back in the center of our lives, that next thing will simply be the problem until we put the one thing that belongs at the center at the center. It can't be our children. It can't be our spouses. They weren't built to be at the center of our lives. Our jobs will not Bring us satisfaction. Everything else we center our lives around will leave us restless and discontent. Our hearts will not rest until they rest in you, O God. God calls us to make God the center of our lives because God knows that that's what we need. 
And so if I'm not centering my life, my day around God, I want to challenge you today to start having daily devotions. If I'm not centering my family around God, I want to challenge you to begin reading Bible stories with your children and praying with them, bringing them to worship with you. If my financial life isn't centered around God, that can change today as we participate in the biblical practice of tithing. Ben Franklin was right on. Contentment makes poor men rich and discontent makes the rich poor. Friends, there is only one place we find contentment. And today could be the first day of a new kind of life centered fully on our great God if we are willing together to say enough. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we confess that despite your unbelievable faithfulness, there have been times we have simply longed for more. Forgive us. Help us to begin to cultivate contentment by the power of your Holy Spirit and to build our lives around you. Holy God, I lift up to you the the man or woman in this room today that knows that you are calling them to work less and spend more time with their family. I pray that you would help them have the courage to take that step. God, I pray for the person in this room whose house is too big, whose appetites have grown too much. I pray that you would help them today say enough. All of us in any form of materialism, I pray that you would help us to say enough. And to center our lives on the only thing that will ever satisfy. For our hearts will not rest. Until they rest in you, O God. We pray these things in the name and to the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.